Um, last week, we talked about James 1.27. We talked about what the Bible says true religion is. Um, we looked at the, the people that we are to serve. We started looking at that. We looked at fatherless. Um, we talked a little bit about widows and the definition of widows. And uh, today I wanted to focus on keeping unstained in this world. There's kind of two elements of remaining unstained. Uh, some translations uh, call it corrupted, staying uncorrupted. Um, different words for it. Um, but looking at James 1.27 again, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so today I just wanted to kind of take a look at the sin problem within um, before we really look at world systems coming towards us. Uh, some translations actually keep oneself out of the world system. They use the word secular. There's different ways to look at that. But today I just want to um, I want to start with talking about Jesus and his effect on our sinful nature. So, you know, once we get unstained from natural stains, if you will, uh, we can start looking at those that are unnatural that are coming and bombarding us. So today I kind of want to talk about that. I'm going to go through it pretty quick. Um, a lot of the stuff is stuff we've covered before, but it's always really good to go back and just look at the effect of Jesus on sin. Um, I always like to think of what Jesus came to do. Jesus kind of came to take care of three problems. He came to take care of death. He came to take care of sin. And he came to take care of uh, the evil forces around us, the spiritual darkness. And so we'll kind of look at that one element. We'll just look at the sin part, which kind of goes hand in hand with the death. Um, but we'll just look at that. Uh, just briefly, the origin of sin. God saw all that he had made and it was good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. The Bible reaffirms us over and over and over that what God created was good, was whole, um, and it was the way that he wanted it. It was everything within his will. Um, one thing we need to be careful with, a lot of people, God creates everything. God did not create sin. He did not decree sin. He only decreed everything as he made is very good. So let's just keep that in mind. Some people go on rabbit trails and they try to attribute sin and evil to God um, because they came up and they, they say, well, you say God created everything. It's just a, it's an old worn out argument that they always say, but let's just think about the fact that the evil is not a created thing and sin is not a created thing um, being created by God. Um, evil just runs against the goodness and the holiness of God. Things that are not within the, the purview of what God desires and wants. Um, sin was found in Satan first when he chose for something God had not chosen for him. Uh, humanity joins in in choosing otherwise and we embrace sin. And as we talk about later, as Paul talks about, because of one man's choice, we, uh, we have to wallow in it. And though God did not create sin, he knew beforehand and he allowed. To take away sin from existence is to remove that free will choice. Um, knowing this, he could have stopped it. He could have put things in regards. He could have taken care of Satan from the start. Um, God is not a cheater. And he allows us free will. Um, we'll just skip this. Basically, this is just a passage that talks about Satan choosing evil and pride, wanting to be like God. 
And so in his desire to be like God, he wants to also mess with God's creation and be ruler over something. Um, man chooses to sin. They chose something not God's specified will. It's not true that they, they didn't stumble into this like they didn't know. Like what they did was specifically ordained not to do. Um, wasn't an accident. Uh, there's a pronouncement of the curse in Genesis 3, which we've talked about a lot. We are now born into a scenario where we will sin. Um, our bodies are corrupted by effects of sin and death. Everything universal now decays. Um, whether we want to call that the second law of thermodynamics or whatever scientific spin you want to call that too, everything kind of decays. You got to put work into it. Our original goal was to put work into the earth to make the whole earth like heaven. And now that was made even more difficult because the work that we do do continues to decay also. So here's our pickle. Here's the sin inside us. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. Talking people, people knew they were sinning before the law came to man through Moses and the angels. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For, in the many, for if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and gift that came by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. So they're, they're putting it, they're kind of looking at it in a mirror and they're saying one side is not as powerful as the other. That one man's sin affected everyone. People entered into that. But what Jesus did on the cross was so much more and affected so much more. Um, you could spend a whole sermon just on Romans 5. Um, we're getting into it. Going further. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Sin affects your life. Sin brings down your life. However, what Jesus did can affect your life even more than what the one man sin did. That's all it is. It's just saying, listen, when you have Jesus, there's an abundance more um, in the change and the effect on your life. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. So that's our way out. That Romans 5 tells us our way out. I'm going to beep through these really quick here because um, I want to focus on what Jesus did to take out that initial stain. Basically, the results of sin brought up many barriers. Among the barriers, there's a barrier to the holiness of God. We are no longer clean in our space and ourself. Because we are unclean in our space and ourself, we are naturally not allowed into the presence of God. Um, so the barrier one is us not being able to be within the holiness of God. 
Barrier two, the sin of man. We are sinful beings. It is within us. That's another barrier to entering in to clean living and life in Christ. I'm talking about different types of sin. The penalty of sin. Um, God makes it clear that there is a penalty of sin. Um, Along with sin came death. That's one of the penalties. But the other part of sin is not being within God's family. Is not being within God's family. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable by God. For no one is declared righteous before him by the works of the law, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Just showing that the barrier is still there even with the law. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred has come. And we know the seed to be Jesus. The law was given through angels and entrusted to the mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. It is the law, therefore, is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So again, just pointing out that the penalty was not living in our right status with God. Um, Spiritual death, without Jesus, there's spiritual death. And consequences in eternity. Um, And we just won't play along on that. Barrier five is just unrighteousness as a whole. The unrighteousness keeps us out of that. So again, so many barriers that leave us stained, that leave us with sin, Um, The answer is reconciliation through Christ alone. Um, We can get into, I put some of the Greek words that they use for this. In some ways, it's helpful. Um, For if we were enemies, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How much more, since we have been reconciled, will be saved by his life? So this idea of reconciliation. Um, And reconciliation is coming from a word that means to change from enmity or disharmony to friendship and harmony to reconcile. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.18, And all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So giving us that ability to go and help people also become reconciled through Christ. They use reconciliation a lot. Some people use it nowadays when they talk about reconciliation. They're talking about families coming back together. Or sometimes in a business sense, you reconcile your your checkbook and your, your things to make things even and right. So that's kind of what the Bible is getting across when it uses that word. Um, propitiation is another word that people like to throw out, but it is our answer to barrier one. Um, it, is a ban- a, it, it helps us get right back. Um, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the whole world. Hebrews 2.17 states that, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in things related to God, to make that atonement for the sins of the people. Um, Romans 3.25, God publicly displayed him at his death at the mercy seat accessible through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because God in his forbearance had passed over the sins previously 
committed. This was also to demonstrate his righteousness in the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who lives because of Jesus' faithfulness. Um, again, the term being that he's made that for us. Um, the Bible refers to it also as redemption. Um, redemption helps us with the sin of man problem. It's another part of the overall work of God by which God has brought about our reconciliation and the removal of this barrier. It deals specifically with the problem of man's sin and with the fact that man is viewed in Scripture as imprisoned or enslaved because of sin. It is a specific payment. And um, the language here in the Bible is specifically used to regard to God made that payment. Um, one way to think about it. So also, Galatians 4.3, so also when we were minors, we're enslaved under the basic forces of the world. But when the appropriate time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we may be adopted as sons with full rights. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, who calls Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are also an heir through Christ. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to beings that by nature are not gods at all. Just a verse talking about the price paid so that we could be bought away from other masters. The use of slaves, just like the song we sang this morning, the transition from slaves to sons. The idea that we now have a new master and we are sons with that master. We are not in a slave-based relationship like we were before with the other forces that we served. Whether you believe you've served other forces or not, you are aligned with other forces in your natural state. And God made that redemption payment. Um, part of the words they use within that is orgarazo, which comes from agora, which just means marketplace. A lot of people talk of the old agoras. It literally means to purchase or buy from the marketplace. It's as if Christ went to spiritual marketplace, got the shopping cart out, and bought everybody that wants to be a Christian. That's what they're trying to get across. He made that trip. He made that payment. Um, again, 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you are bought at a price, therefore glorify God with your body, meaning your entire self. 7.23, you are bought with a price, do not become slaves of men. Um, also in the Bible, when they talk about Jesus buying us and buying us that freedom, they use the word latrao, and this comes from lutron, which means a ransom price. So they're specifically talking about a ransom price. Um, there was a price over us held by those dark forces, and Jesus made that price. He paid that price. Um, you know that you were, you know that from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, you are ransomed. Not by perishable things like silver or gold, but by the precious blood like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb, mainly Christ. Namely Christ. So the idea is that blood paid the price. We, uh, we sing songs about the blood. The blood is very important, and the blood was that payment. There's something in ancient cultures throughout all of history, there is a power of blood, and we know that Jesus' blood is the most powerful blood. It is the ultimate price. It was the ultimate payment. And when people engage in other religions and deal with blood, um, I feel bad for them 
because I know that it's not enough. It's just not enough. What they're seeking is not enough. The blood shed. The blood has already been shed for anything that they would desire or want. But yet people still engage in the spilling of blood in religious sacraments. Uh, for whom did Christ die? Um, First Timothy, for it is this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of believers. First John 2, 1, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the whole world. So it was the ultimate price, and those that want to live unstained can enter into this. There is nothing that would stop that power from going to them if they believe. Um, There were legal penalties of sin. Um, This kind of feels like redemption, but with a specific focus on paying the legal debt of sin. So sin, sin enwrapped us in a sinful state. We were serving masters, but we were serving masters with a legal spiritual, legal, owing them things. Um, And that can come from ancestors. That can come from different things if you want to dig into that. But expiation means to undo the wrong done by pain or suffering, the penalty for that wrong as demanded by the law. So the sins that we have committed while we were under the old agreements, all those things that we were personally doing, not just what we were bought into, but personally doing, have been revealed or have been like revoked, kind of put away. Colossians 2.12 says that having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So the Bible puts a lot on this like spiritual legality. There's this idea, and they use a lot of business terms, they use business, uh, legal terms, just to kind of express to us that there was this natural state in the world and this is reaffirmed by the Hebrew worldview. And Jesus did all of these things. Jesus took care of this and this and this and this. Um, he paid that price. Expiation means to cancel out. So when they're using this term, it was like smearing out letters written on wax. In the old days, you'd seal things and documents would be sealed with wax. And there would be initials or a sign or a sigil of some kind. And this is saying that it's wiped out. Um, the erasure of indebtedness or the wiping out of an item on an account. Certificate of debt is a handwriting or a handwritten document, decrees. They're just being very specific. Um, it's interesting to note that the, world, that the word karyographon was actually used as a certificate of indebtedness like an IOU or a bond. So Jesus came and he took care of all the spiritual IOUs, all of it. Um, In this regard, the law was indeed, at least in part, a handwritten document consisting of laws or commands written by the finger of God. So the law existed to point people to the fact that they couldn't take care of, they couldn't live the holy life, they couldn't do that. And as the law states, they were indebted. Um, Substitution. Spiritual death plus more. So Jesus took care of quite a bit. And this is one of my favorite portions of the Bible, just because this is... Isaiah, so this is pre-New Testament, but they nail it down and they even use, you know, this is some of the language that Paul uses later. I just like this. But, but he lifted up our illnesses, he carried our pain, even though we thought he was being punished, attacked by God, 
and afflicted for something he had done. He was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well. Because of his wounds, we have been healed. All of us had wandered off like sheep. Each of us had strayed off his own path. But the Lord caused the sin of us all to attack him. He was treated harshly and afflicted, but he did not even open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughtering block, like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not even open his mouth. He was led away after an unjust trial, but who even cared? Indeed, he was cut off from the land of the living because of the rebellion of his own people he was wounded. They intended to bury him with criminals, but he ended up in a rich man's tomb because he had committed no violent deeds, nor had he spoken deceitfully. Though the Lord desired to crush him and make him ill, once restitution is made, he will see descendants and enjoy long life, and the Lord's purpose will be accomplished through him. Having suffered, he will reflect on his work. He will be satisfied when he understands what he has done. My servant will acquit many, for he carried their sins. I just think it's a powerful, powerful prelude to what our Savior did written before and how much of that came true. Um. But God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For I passed on to you as of first importance what I had also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in time we would become the righteousness of God. That idea of substitution, um, that is us now. Uh, But we see Jesus, who was made lower than angels for a little while, now crowned crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by God's grace, he would experience a death on behalf of everyone. So the Bible is just full of substitution, this idea that God became that for us. Just lots of different ways to look at this, lots of different ways to claim that things were finished. That's kind of the point of all this. It's a lot of Bible verses thrown at you. But... It's good to see all the different ways people looked at the work of Jesus on the cross. What he atoned for. Um, He also gave us justification. And justification is a judicial or forensic concept and is therefore related to God as the righteous judge of all the earth. So we had an issue, God being judge of the earth. We had an issue with coming before the judge um, and being found anything but guilty. God can condemn, compromise, or he can make righteous. But any righteousness the sinner has must be actual, not fictitious, real, not imagined, acceptable by God's standard, and not a step short. If this can be accomplished, then, and only then, can he justify someone. But we know that we can't do any of that. There's no way we can legally make ourselves righteous. There's nothing we can do that would allow us to come clean like that to the creator of the universe, judge of the earth. Romans 3.21, But now, apart from the law of righteousness of God, although it is attested by the law and the prophets, has been disclosed, namely, the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. God publicly displayed him at his death, as the mercy seat accessible through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because God and his forbearance had passed over the sins previously committed. This was also to demonstrate his righteousness in the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who lives because of Jesus' faithfulness. So again, 
You are justified. You are made righteous through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Philippians 3.7 adds on, but these assets I have come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung, and I may gain, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by the way of Christ's faithfulness, a righteousness from God that is in fact based on Christ's faithfulness. Lots of faithfulness, righteousness, faithfulness, righteousness. The righteousness is from God. We are able to go before the creator of the universe, judge of the earth, because of that righteousness that Christ imparts. So we're covered. We're very covered. When we talk about being in this world and being unstained, when it comes to dealing with that initial focus put on us that leaves us that corrupted nature that we have, Jesus has totally paid the way for all of that. In every legal sense, in every sense that we can pull out of the law in the Old Testament and see what needs to be given, what needs to be done, Jesus is taking care of that. There's only one answer, and it's Jesus. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There are not many ways to heaven and many ways to be righteous among God. There is one. The Bible is very, very clear. Unbelievably clear. That is our answer. That is the only way to get this unstained in the world started. And so... That's what we're looking at. So if we, we go back to James one twenty seven, religion that is pure and undefiled, or as some people say, true religion, we can talk, some people don't like the word religion. We're just going to let the religion world word go because that's the word that they're using in the verse, and we can look at that later. But true religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Keep oneself unstained. So now we know how we start. Now the mission is, how do you keep yourself unstained again? And so that will be a talk for another time. All right. Jesus, we thank you for that redemption. We thank you for your righteousness. We thank you for all of the things that you have provided. Yahweh, we are thankful that you are a God who has a plan who had a plan, who had everything covered, who did not cheat, but did everything in your omnipotence, in your omniscience, all that you are, you had a way. And that you've made a way for these mud creatures to come back to you and take on their true self. And Lord, we're very thankful for that. Jesus, we thank you that you give us that start, the unstaining of ourselves, the, the uncorrupted ourselves. And Jesus, we're very thankful for what you did. We're very thankful that you came in and entered into one of those mud bodies too. And that you humbled yourself in that act. And that you made the way. And it was a true and purposeful way. The only way. And the most powerful way. 
And we're very thankful for that, Lord. Jesus, just be with us throughout this week. I just ask that you'd help us keep in mind who we are in you, how we are to, to feel and regard ourselves in you. And Lord, I just ask that you would help us more and more to live that life as sons and daughters and less as slaves. Help us to keep you in our focus. Holy Spirit, bring to mind those things during this week that we need to remind ourselves of. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, Jesus, for all these things that you've done, all these things that your death bought for us. Thank you for that price that you paid. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.